Welcome back to Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So, our treats continue, marking Corrie's 60th birthday. And this one is rather special. Ashley's been digging into his own archives and found some previously unheard chats with two Corrie legends. Gene Alexander and Betty Driver. I'll leave Ashley to explain the rest. Enjoy. Well, Betty Driver arrived in Coronation Street way, way back in 1969. She was using it for a very long time. She played, of course, Betty Turpin and eventually went on to become Betty Williams. And about 11 years ago, I got the chance to uh, go and chat to uh, Betty at her dressing room at Granada Studios, the old Granada Studios in central Manchester on Key Street, uh, and to reminisce with her about her career and her days in Coronation Street. Now, I've been scurrying through my archives and discovered some bits of that interview that were never used elsewhere. So this is a bit of a treat for you uh, Corrie fans out there. And we know you've been tuning in to uh, all the Corrie at 60 Delights um, on uh, Distinct Nostalgia. Well, this one is, I think, rather special, really. Um, This is Betty Driver reminiscing about her own career and about her time on the cobbles to me around about 11 years ago. I think she says in it she was 89 at the time, so it must be around, uh, I think, 11 years ago. Listen out for me, though. God, I, I sound I sound a lot younger than I do now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that uh, when you listen to your voice, you can tell that you've aged. Um, but uh, anyway, um, listen to Betty. And then after that, I've got another treat for you coming up because uh, we're going to be hearing an interview that I did um, with Jean Alexander as well. So, uh, uh, yeah, plenty of treats um, carrying on here on Distinct Nostalgia and more to come in the next few days as well. But first of all, let's have a bit of Betty. I went to Ealing when I was 18, had my 18th birthday there, and uh, the director there was one of a very famous director called Sir Carol Reed, and marvellous. Everything was wonderful. But the funny thing with me is every contract that I've ever had or every job I've ever... Anyone's come to see me, I've always worn blue. Right. And blue is my favourite colour. <laughs> I adore blue. And uh, whoever... And it's lucky, is it? Lucky blue. Yes, but yeah. I've not done it on purpose. No. Yeah. But every contract that I've signed, I've worn blue. Yeah. It's amazing. Films, every time the, the, the directors came to see me, I'd be in a lovely blue gown or something. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So I've got quite superstitious, you know, about blue. <laughs> You've got to wear blue all the but time. But everything was so much more glamorous mm. then, you know. Mm. The film studios were glamorous and, uh, oh, it was lovely. What kind of people did you work with in the, the healing comedies and things? Did you work with some, some legends of film? Do you know, so long ago, you wouldn't know any of them in any case. <laughs> we had a wonderful actor that played my father in my first film called Edmund Gwen. He was a beautiful actor. But I love filming. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. And, of course, you were also in uh, the big bands and things, weren't you, in the, in the oh, war years? Oh, wonderful. Oh, I was with seven years, seven and a half years, with a, a wonderful orchestra called Henry Hall, and that was sensational. I went abroad, entertaining the troops with the band and everything. It was the most wonderful time in my life. I love a band at the back of me because when you're, you're a singer... That noise from the back is fabulous. Mm. 
it's always wonderful. It's nothing like a, a pit band at the front, you know. This it's a wonderful sound at the you back. You miss the singing. You miss the singing. Uh, well, not now. I'm too damn old. <laughs> no, so. no, this I like best. Yeah, you prefer this. I yeah. prefer this. Yeah, yeah. But and at the time, I loved being with the band because the audiences were so fabulous, and uh, we went abroad and entertained all the the soldiers and air force and that. And I did the same kind of work that Vera Lynn did. Yeah. Yeah. But she was made a dame and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you were honoured. You got you, you got oh, the MBE, MBE, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> lovely, I loved that. I met the Queen about three times. I, I love her, I think she's sweet. And what she say to you? She's a fan of Coronation Street, isn't she? Well, she came here and, and opened our street that we yeah, work on yeah. now. And she, she was lovely, lovely. And then the first time we did a, a Royal Command performance here at the Palace Theatre, and uh, she arrived, she was, well, when I first started... She looked so beautiful with all the jewels and a little coronet on them. Oh, she looked gorgeous. She. And Edinburgh was there as well. And uh, he's such a, he's a bit of a lad. <laughs> he kept asking me, I said, it's a pint. Have you got a pint anywhere? I said, well, not on me, no. You know. Came to the, th- the theatre and when we'd finished at the palace this show, she came down and spoke to us all. And we had to form two lines uh, right down to the, the foyer. And I was at the front right at the top where she came. And this lovely woman came up to me and said, oh, my feet do hurt. I said, oh, I am sorry, love. And afterwards, somebody nudged me and said, you do realise you've just called the Queen love? I said, what well, can't help it? <laughs> but she was lovely. When I came into the street, uh, and I told you I'd retired, and I got very bad voice, very bad throat, and I had to go and have an operation what they call singer's nodes. Mm. They're like corns on the vocal cords. So I wasn't allowed to talk, you see. Anyway, the producer of the the street came to see me and said, would you come into the street? And I said, well, I can't speak at the moment. I'm having to whisper or write it down. He said, why? I said, well, I mustn't speak. So he said, well, how long will it be? So I got my sister to phone the specialist and say, how long will Betty be before she can work? Mm. He said, well, about six weeks. So he said, well, shall we make a contract from six weeks? So I said, oh, right. So I start the sixth week. I was terrified because I I hadn't heard myself speak. Mm. I didn't know whether I'd got a voice or it had got or what. And the man that played Doris Speed's Annie Walker's husband was an angel. He played Jack Walker, Arthur Leslie. He was superb man. And I said, oh, I'm so nervous, Arthur. He said, why? I said, I don't know whether my voice is going to be strong enough. He said, don't worry, Betty. He said, all your scenes are with me. He said, now, I'll do them all with you and you'll be fine because whenever you're with me, I will have my knee on you or my hand on you and it will give you confidence. And he said, and I will tell the boys on the the microphone to bring the power up each time you speak because I had got it was very light my voice and that's how he got me through mm. and I will never ever forget him and he's bound to have a seat up in heaven because he was an angel he was the most wonderful person and he really helped me through for about oh four or five weeks until I got confidence yeah. of the power of my voice you know because mm. I never shut up since then <laughs> you know the little Samir that plays uh, um, Maria she was the worst barmaid we've ever had. She's so beautiful. And she came and she said, I don't know how to pull a pint. I said, oh, come on, I'll show you. And I'm showing how to pull these pints, you see. 
and nothing in it. I mean, good as easy as anything. So comes the time we do the, uh, she'll tell you, do the take. She filled both my shoes with beer. I'm saying, can't you pull it a bit slower? I said, my shoes, I'm swimming in beer. And she was there pulling, she went, overflowing, all down my oh. We've had some lovely, uh, lovely people. And the young ones at the moment are all gorgeous. They're all lovely. Lovely youngsters. What would you say was the best period then in terms of in terms of the Rovers? Because obviously you've had you've had that you've had the period when uh, obviously Doris Speed was there and all the rest of it. But you also had that period when Jack and Vera were in charge of the pub as well. Yes, I loved that. And there was Alec Gilroy and and uh, Bets as well. That. I loved that. Well, you've got to move with the times, haven't you? Mm. It wouldn't have been any use having Annie Walker going right through because she was elderly and she wasn't with it. Mm. And then Bet Lynch and. Alec Gilroy took over and all that. And, well, then that was another era, yeah. which became more interesting again. Yeah. And, of course, we've changed the, the licensees so often now. And now, of course, we've got uh, Steve MacDonald, who is gorgeous. I love him, <laughs> so he's brought a bit of youth into the show. <laughs> but he's lovely. It's, it's great. There's, I don't think there's any particular time that you can say was the best. Mm. I've enjoyed it all. I think if you set out to enjoy your work... You will, and you'll make it much easier. Yeah, yeah. Now you said earlier on that you were the longest serving, or the, the in terms of uh, actress who's, oh, yeah. who's, who's working. I'm the oldest actress if, 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 if the, the Rovers was a real pub, you know, and you compare it with the pubs pubs, 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 <laughs> pubs around, around the country, you must be the longest serving barmaid across the country. Oh, yes, you? I should think so. Yes. <laughs> Ninety next year. Oh my God, it's frightening. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter, does it? I think age is a silly thing. It's only mm. a number. Yeah. It's your mind, isn't it, really? Absolutely. If you're young in mind, that age doesn't matter. I think the majority of of soaps, the women dominate it because the majority of the men either are henpecked or, you know, just doing nothing at all. But it's the women, I think, that that make the shows right, especially the older ones. It is true. Well, you see, there was Ina Sharples, Margot Bryant uh, that played Minnie Caldwell, me, Julie Goodyear. There was... uh, Jean Alexander that played Hilda Ogden, and we all used to be together and do scenes just of conversation, Mm. which I miss now. Mm. I think that we should do more of that. Whether they will or not, I don't know, but I think people would be more interested to see a group of women standing in the bar with a mug of coffee discussing the day's events, which we don't do that. Well, they do very well with Loose Women, don't they? The TV series Loose Women does well, very brilliant, well. So. Brilliant, you know, brilliant. Absolutely. But that's what I think they should do. And do you, think, do you think you have to be a strong woman to play a strong woman? Well, I'm a bit strong. I think so, yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so, because you look, there's, there's Barbara who plays Rita. She's a strong person. Mm. Eileen Darbish is a very strong character. They're all strong women. Yeah. So, you know, if you all got together, I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> it would be wonderful. I'd, lo- I'd love it. And, of course, in the early years as well, they weren't just strong characters on, 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 on the set. You know, people like Elsie Tanner and others were, oh, were superstars wonderful. outside, weren't they? Oh, I mean, they were, you know, yes. you'd walk through the street and they'd be oh, mobbed, yeah. wouldn't they, oh, in those yeah. days? She was the epitome of, of, star, of a star. Uh, Pat was a gorgeous person. She never, ever went into the, on the streets unless she was made up in beautiful furs and jewels. She always looked glamorous. Mm. And whenever she came to the studio in the morning, she would bring a case with her, with her change. She would go all morning, she would uh, wear something, and then she'd go out to lunch, change, go out to lunch, come back, and then she'd change into a costume. Then at night, when we'd finished, she'd change again, 
to another lovely outfit and go home like that in the limousine. <laughs> and it was real theatre. I don't think that there's any glamour left in the television anymore. All these years I've been in the show business and I've been a star since I was 14, top of the bill since I was 14. And it takes me to get into this to become the hot pot queen of the world. <laughs> Everybody says, ooh, is it lovely? Could we taste it? I, said, I wouldn't devour you, no. I said, I don't eat it to start with. Said, Why not? I don't eat meat. <laughs> but oh, it's but you've probably done wonders for hot pot sales. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yes. I'll say. <laughs> Unbelievable. Surprising how you can get, make a name out of a, a bowl of stew. Isn't it? <laughs> you don't realise how powerful it really is, yeah. you know. I just hope it continues to be as powerful. Oh, I watch every every episode, and I don't want anybody to start criticising in front of me. If they start, I say, <clears throat> demand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm very staunch. Of course, it's got a lot more competition now than it ever oh, has. Yes. Obviously, oh, in the, yeah. the 60s, there was Crossroads and all the rest oh, of it. But uh, how, how do you think it... You know, obviously, they've all got the good points in their yeah. own ways. But how do you think Corrie... Comp- what do you think it is that keeps Corrie at the top? Do you know, I don't know. I think normality. I'm sure that's what it is. I mean, EastEnders is, I think, is wonderful, wonderful, but it's very, very morbid. Very serious, isn't it? Yes, yeah. very, very. I love Emmerdale, and that's more, that's farming mm. more. This is just ordinary people, supposedly, mm. isn't it? And I don't know, I just think it, I think it's, people just can relate. I mean, me, I, nearly all my fan letters I get from children, mm. from eight to about 12, I get thousands of little kids saying, oh, I wish you were my nana. And I said, oh, yes, I wish you were. <laughs> and it's lovely. I think that's what it is. People can relate more to us mm. than they can to EastEnders or Emmerdale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. One of the things that everyone says about you is that, um, is that you can sort of steal a scene with your oh, glances. Yeah. <laughs> with your reactions in the Rovers. Oh, no matter what's going on in the Rovers, we can see you in the background reacting to it. It's as though you're you're sort of you're you're us watching what's going on kind oh, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, this is this gets on my nerves. People no names, but people do a scene and when they when they finish their line, their face goes blank. But in life, when I'm talking to you, your face is changing all the time. You're smiling and you're serious. Why stand blank? Mm. You've got to react, haven't you? You've got to... Because everybody's watching whoever's in the scene. And I, I'm afraid I do still... <laughs> I'm pulling phases and all sorts of things. It's ridiculous. Yeah, your reaction is, is I know, fantastic. But, but, it's legendary. But I, I can't help it to do it naturally. <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? Never mind. <laughs> the late, great Betty Driver there, speaking to me 11 years ago. And, uh, yeah, you can tell that I've aged. Um, my voice sounds like I'm like about 10 or something silly. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. In a moment, we're going to be hearing from Jean Alexander from another interview done quite some time ago uh, when I went to visit Jean at her home in Southport. Christmas on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Home. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You. 
starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. I like her, I said, and then silence. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I didn't want to be a lawyer, but what can you do? Missing You by Richard Vergette with the legendary June Brown this Christmas only on Distinct Nostalgia. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying Oh yeah, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, 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 we all artists, man. We go you feel me, we gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. This I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase. I think it was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or color. It was as simple as. An art student who thinks he's all free and easy, creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. This year has claimed the lives of far too many people to coronavirus. One of the many we lost was the great comedian Eddie Large, one half of that fabulous double act, Little and Large. And he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that? And he'd have the the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, (laughs) things like that. In a special interview this Christmas, Sid Little remembers his long-time comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. I'd be stood there and Eddie would go like, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, he'd look like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a, a refill for a viral. Because you know, I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side. And that's when the comedy started coming in. That's Little Remembers Large, this festive season, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
So then, a few years later, after meeting Betty Driver, I happened to meet uh, Jean Alexander. Um, I went to a house in uh, Southport to interview her about various things, uh, including um, the time that was mentioned, I think, in that interview with Betty uh, Driver, uh, when Coronation Street um, did a special show at the uh, Palace Theatre in Manchester, way, way back in the mid-70s, well, late 70s, actually, 1977, around the time of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Um, So here we are, a little bit of Jean explaining exactly what happened and what her role was in that performance at the Palace Theatre to mark the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977. Coronation Street were going to do a sketch to finish up the programme, which was all done by Northern artists, um, a comedian, Bernard Wrigley, and the Halley Orchestra, and things like that, all Northern performers. And uh, Coronation Street were doing a sketch about Hilda going to see the Queen go by. And <laughs> it was the most terrifying night of my life. I've never been so frightened because I hadn't stepped on the stage for 14 years and I've been doing television, which was a lot easier. So um, this story goes through. Uh, I was the anchor, what they call the anchor man, who was on all the time. And other people just came on and said a few lines and went off again. And it all ended up with um, Stan Ogden being wheeled on in a wheelbarrow by Eddie Yates. Drunk, of course. And when Eddie went off, Hilda pulls down the flag, puts it over Stan, and he says, I'm not cold, Hilda. And she says, I'm not warming you, I'm hiding you, not having Her Majesty see you in that condition. (laughs) And I'm told that um, the Queen and the Duke enjoyed that bit. They rather fell about a bit, you know, (laughs) so I'm told. And then after the show, Jack Howarth, Albert Tatlock and I were presented outside the Royal Box, which was a great honour, and I've never forgotten it. But it was the most frightening night I've ever spent. It was frightening, obviously, because you, you'd not been on stage for a long time, yeah, but, partic- but particularly frightening, I suppose, because you were doing it in front of the Queen. Exactly, but doing it in front of the Queen, I mean, it's not like just doing it in the local rep, you know, although that is important at the time because they've paid to come in. <laughs> but um, I was shaking like a leaf when I came off. And Barbara Knox, bless her, was standing in the wings with a glass of brandy in her hand. And she said, here, I've got this for you. You deserve it. So all went well, thankfully. But what a, what a night that was. It was really a glittering night for everybody. And was the entire cast involved in it? Oh, all the cast were involved in it, yes. Yes, most. But they, they, uh, they waited down in the foyer to meet the, the Queen and the Duke when they were leaving on the way out. But Jack Howarth and I were, were up behind the box and how exciting it was. And I've got photographs to prove it. You've got some photographs here, haven't you? Yes, I've got a photograph here behind the royal box with uh, the Queen and the Duke, David Scase, who was running the show. Um, I can't remember all the names. Gentleman who ran Cheatham School. Wrigley, sorry, Bernard Wrigley, who uh, was a northern comedian. And little Jack Howarth standing next to me. <laughs> And, and and tell us tell us obviously tell us about meeting actually physically meeting her what was all that like tell us tell us the build up to that obviously you done the what performance. it was what was it like meeting the queen well after the performance I'd just gone through 
I was just shaking. In fact, to try and do a bit of a curtsy, I was terrified I was going to bang my backside on the wall and go straight head first into her, but I didn't, so I was very careful. But it was very exciting, and she has the most wonderful eyes, those brilliant, brilliant hyacinth-coloured eyes who look straight into your head. And she's absolutely wonderful. Can you remember what she said? What? Can you remember what she said? I don't remember what she said, and I don't remember what I said. I think I was too frightened to open my mouth. <laughs> now, of course, the Queen Queen's had a bit of an association with Coronation Street over the years because she she's she's said to be a bit of a fan of the program anyway. Has been a bit of a fan of the program, and then she came she came in the eighties to visit to meet to visit the street, didn't she? She came to the street in nineteen eighty two, I think it was. They were building a new outside set for the actual street. The old one was a bit small and tattered, and it was getting a bit useless, so they they demolished that and built a bigger one a little further up the road. And she came to open the new new street, which was marvellous, because we were all standing outside our doors in character, in our character clothes, (laughs) waiting to meet her. And uh, she was marvellous. Although although, although Hilda didn't didn't have her curlers in that day, did she? Hilda did not have her curlers in that day, no, she did not. Her hair was standing on end as usual when it's not in curlers. <laughs> no pinny either, no. It was a special day for Hilda. Very special day for Hilda, that was. It was all, it, it all went by in a marvellous dream, actually. Um, and I believe um, Bernard Ewans asked Her Majesty if he could possibly be employed as, as window cleaner at the palace. I don't remember what she replied, but I think I think she was a bit stunned by the question. Because <laughs> <laughs> the pictures are that she basically went to, I think she went to every um, yes, house, she did, didn't she, along the, along the street, didn't she? Yeah. She went to every house, yes, and, and shook hands with all of us, one by one, and had a few words, you know, but that sort of occasion, you, you don't remember what anybody says. I remember what happened, but I don't remember what what the Queen would say and all anything you know exactly. just just the occasion is exciting i mean it's funny that you were talking about the, the 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 act that you did on stage and then talking about being being in character to meet meet um the queen yes. on, on the street what what do you think if um if hilda herself the character had ever met the queen how what, what kind of occasion would you think it would have been for her hilda would just be standing there waving her flag oh the bit about the flag of course as um I'd only been I'd been on holiday in Jersey and I had to fly home the middle weekend of my holiday to do this and I flew back on the Sunday and they'd given me the script to learn the whole script to learn by myself in Jersey and I left my mother in Jersey and flew back to Manchester and went into Granada on the Monday morning and we had two two run-throughs in the rehearsal room of this this uh, sketch, just two, for the words. And we went into the palace about two o'clock, half past two. And the security was so tight; we all had to have a pass pinned to us with our names on. And once you were in the theatre, you were not going to get out again until after the performance at night. It was that tight, and there were dogs. There were. <laughs> And policemen, every though that security was frightening. And we got in there, 
and I was sitting in the dressing room. We got one run through on the stage about three o'clock. And then we were the next to last item on the programme. And we didn't get on till a quarter to nine at night. You can imagine why I was so frightened. Because I'd been sitting there going through the whole script in my head all day. And I'm standing in the wings, ready to go on after Bernard Rigby, Wrigley had done his, finished his bit. And I get this flagpole, which is about eight feet long, and a huge Union Jack. And I gather it up and get, I'm all ready there, ready to think of the first few lines, you know, ready to go on so I wouldn't fall over the flag. And David Skate, who was half a bottle of whiskey in his hand, was rotating between the electrician and me and kept coming up to me and saying, don't go on yet, don't go on yet. And I was saying, get off, get off, get off. And he, he came back three times pulling at the flag and each time I had to get it all sorted again so, you know, so that I wouldn't fall over it and I'd be able to fall the thing. And I was so angry with him, by which time the backcloth for Coronation Street was coming in, the music was playing and the lights were coming up. That was my cue to go on. So I kicked skates and got on, put my flagpole up opened up the uh, mild, huge Union Jack and said to myself, I don't know what this thing happens now. I haven't a clue what I say. I don't know who comes on first. What the hell am I going to do in a minute? And I'm just looking round as though I'm looking to see the Queen, see. And little Jack Howarth, who'd just turned 80, came stumping onto the stage, looked me straight in the eye and said, Now then, Hilda, what are you doing? Here. And my mouth opened and words came out. And I, was, I thought, oh, I'm saying it, I'm saying it, I'm saying it. <laughs> and so far, so far so good, you know. And then Vi Carson dried on the line halfway through. She only had three lines, but she's suddenly dried in the excitement of the occasion, I suppose. And managed to take a prompt, because we had a prompter behind the back cloth. And I thought, if anybody else dries, I will go altogether, you <laughs> know. But fortunately, it all worked out well, and we got to the end of it without any, any disasters. But was I glad to get to the end of that? Oh, I could have gone down on my knees. <laughs> but what a night. So it's one of the most terrifying things you've ever done, then? The most terrifying evening of my life, <laughs> that was. And I never want to do it again. <laughs> The late, great Jean Alexander there recalling Hilda's starring role in front of the Queen at the uh, Palace Theatre back in 1977 at the time of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. So there you, there you go. I hope you enjoyed those little uh, dips into uh, our archives. And, uh, of course, the Corrie at 60 celebrations continue on Distinct Nostalgia. There's several more interviews to come. Um, so enjoy the rest of your Christmas. Keep an eye out for them. And have a happy new year from everybody here at Distinct Nostalgia. You're listening to Distinct Nostalgia, home to some incredible interviews with stars from all your favourite soaps. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not head over to distinctnostalgia.com for a treasure trove of programmes just like this.
Lisa Williamson of Hollyoaks fame talks about life on the programme. So we all got to know each other quite well. If you were chatting to some of the writers about something you've been getting up to, they would sort of write that in. So you started realising that some of your personality traits would come into the show. I got the script and I thought, what have I been up to? I got pregnant. I had the child adopted. It was, you know, and you just think, wow, the writers have really gone to town for me today. You know, it's, it was great, fantastic. Andrew Linford and Mark Homer reflect on sharing their first kiss on EastEnders in the 1990s. When the, the Blackpool episode came out, front page of the tabloids, it was like, get this scum off our TV and things like that. Just horrendous stuff. It, it was kind of the start of, of, of a big thing, really, and we're privileged to be involved in, in storylines like that, really am. And Nick Cochran discusses his life on the street as we continue our celebration of Corrie at 60. They were just brilliant with us, you know, because we were a couple of little sh- who've fortunately found the way into the TV's biggest show without really knowing what they're doing. That's bottom line, that's where me and Simon were at that point. Myself and Simon are old school people. We were brought up properly, mate, and, and so there was a lot of respect then, more than there is now. These programmes and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.